Welcome back. After a week off from About South, we are excited to talk to you today about Southern ugliness or what does your mother mean when she tells you don't be ugly. And for this discussion, we are pleased to have with us Monica Miller. She's a Britain postdoctoral fellow and assistant director of writing and communication at Georgia Tech. Her monograph, Being Ugly, Southern Women Writers and Social Rebellion, will be published spring 2017 by Louisiana State University Press's Southern Literary Studies series. We are really looking forward to her book, and we enjoyed sitting down with her to talk about being ugly. So without further ado, let's get back into About South. project when you first talked to me about it but I was a little unclear about it in a southern context until I remember we were sitting at that Velvet Elvis place in Milledgeville Mm -hmm. and you said well you know in the south when we say someone's being ugly you were like like what does that mean and then I thought oh (laughs) what does that mean so maybe you could start out talking about the difference between this idea of physical attractiveness and then also this metaphorical concept we have of being ugly. Sure. Well, so the first thing was noticing, you know, we think about Southern women as being pretty, right? Do uh, we? Miss America is always Miss Mississippi. Oh, true. Okay. okay. So there's yeah. the stereotype that Southern women are just prettier, you know, that the hair is bigger in the South, right? The, the higher the hair, the closer to God. Um, but when you look at literature, there's so many ugly women. Um, Scarlett O'Hara was not beautiful. And all of Flannery O'Connor's women and all of Eudora Welty's women and the way that uh, Celie is ugly but can work like a man in the color purple. So it was one of those rabbit holes that once you start looking for ugly women in the literature, they're everywhere. And at the same time, I realized that people in the North don't tell their children don't be ugly. They um, don't? No, and in fact, in the dictionary, the OED, um, ugliness meaning... Uh, rebellious behavior or acting up or being inappropriate or being rude is regional, specifically Southern. And I think that it's a term that's spread a little bit since, but I know still when I talk about my project to people who aren't from the South, like, oh, I've never heard that. Whereas Southerners go, well, yeah, the rest of the people, the rest of the country doesn't say don't be ugly. Hmm. Yeah, I guess I haven't thought about that. I mean, I've lived all over the country, even though I'm from the South originally, I guess it just never came up. Now, is there, do you think that there's, there are more ugly women per capita in Southern literature than in literature in other regions of the country? And how do we know they're ugly? Like the author has given us a description that they're ugly. Right. Either in the case of Celie, she's described as she was ugly, but could work like a man. Or you have somebody like Catherine Ann Porter's um, uh, character, Cousin Eva, who um, had a weak chin and her life was doomed for lack of a chin and, and that was described as um, because she was so unfortunate looking and, and had no chin that doomed her to a life of being a Latin teacher and uh, a suffragist. Um, so there's this connection that you need to be pretty in order to marry and have children and fulfill your societal duties um, but there's this kind of sub-tradition of women who don't fit that mold 
literally. And then I think that's where the interesting stuff happens because then they get to do stuff outside of um, our expected roles. Now, see, that's interesting to me because um, James Baldwin sort of famously referred to himself as ugly. Mm -hmm. And someone pointed out to me the other day that Biggie Smalls often rapped about himself as ugly. Oh, that's cool. And that they found both of them, neither women nor Southerners, but they found power in asserting a certain type of ugliness. Like, even though I'm ugly... I'm putting air quotes because I mean ugliness is objective, right? Right, and it, and it and it changes, right? I mean, what certainly the standards change, and what we consider ugly now will not be in the future. I mean, there's a just today there were there was a uh, uh, review article I read about there are several books coming out right now about ugliness. Gretchen Henderson's book on ugliness just came out in the uh, last fall, in which they talk about aesthetics, like not just in terms of people, but aesthetics. Ugliness is often kind of the, the leading edge or the avant-garde of aesthetics that what we think of as ugly, think about like say Dadaism or um, punk even, that that kind of pushes things uh, to a place of discomfort that then becomes assimilated into um, our aesthetics. And so ugliness is this kind of declaration of this is what makes us uncomfortable. That can be a position of power and I think that's what you're talking about. Um, it's about Biggie Small certainly would be um, somebody coming from a position of power if I'm trying to make you uncomfortable. It puts it back on the listener. Like, you may think I'm ugly, but you're also drawn to me. Right. And so the listener has to think about what that means. And that's, I mean, that's a mythic tradition, right, of, of fascination with the ugly, right? I mean, that's the power of Medusa, is the power to captivate us, and we can't look away. Look away. Now, in terms of these southern literature characters, and you primarily focus on women. I focus pr exclusively on women Ex in this project. Okay. Where do they find sources of power in their ugliness? Well, so there are a number of places. I mean, first of all, I think that I, I look at women like Catherine Ann Porter's character who are kind of born to do it. You know, they can't help it, right? They're, they're born ugly um, and therefore don't qualify for, um, aren't easily picked for marriage. Um, or I also look at characters such as Flannery O'Connor's Joy Holga, who kind of choose to adopt this ugly appearance in order to opt out of these expectations, right? Joy Holga changes her name from Joy to Holga because it sounds uglier. She wears an ugly sweatshirt and she slumps, she has bad posture and she frowns and all of these things to make herself unattractive um, to the opposite sex in order to, in her case, right, get a PhD um, and find ways of living outside of these expectations. And so I think that part of the power comes from the ability to adopt these these ugly uh, appearances. And all, But you know, another um, area that I've looked at is in order to adopt an ugly appearance, you need to have the resources in order to find another way to support yourself. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of a tricky comparison because on the one hand, you would think that people who have this aesthetic power of prettiness would be from a position of privilege. But then if they're conscripted into, well, you're going to be so easily picked for marriage that if you're too pretty, then you're not going to get to be smart. But then if you're too ugly to be married in this cycle, then you you have to have something else you can do. Right, right. Like, you can work like a man. You can go get a PhD. You can, you have to have another verb.
what does, if someone, if my mom told me, don't be ugly, what does she mean by that? She means, she means you're misbehaving. Um, it's the flip side of pretty is as pretty does, right? Um, that yes. in order for you to be attractive, right? And the word, all of these words have so many different valences, right? Attractive means physically attractive, but it also means attracting other people to you. So in order to attract other people to you, you need to act in a pleasing manner. You need to act pretty. Now, what's the difference between then if my mom told me, like, don't get cute with me? Is that the same thing as being ugly? See, I've been thinking about this. And I think that, so first of all, being cute is not a regionally specific phrase. It's used, it's a, it's the, that definition of cute is being smart alecky is being too clever for your own good, which I think is really interesting that I think there is a connection about being too clever. All of these negative things are being too something, I think. If your mom says, don't don't get cute with me, she's saying, don't, again, it's don't rise above your station, don't get out of your prescribed boundaries. But it's still, I think, a little bit more acceptable than being ugly. Yeah, being ugly has a connotation of meanness, mm -hmm. which seems unfortunate. <laughs> <laughs> and then, okay, so what about then don't get fresh. Don't get fresh, I think, has, you know, I don't know what the etymology of fresh is, um, but I think it's similarly, I think it's similar to cute in that, again, it's being too much, too, too, too clever. Much. Sorry, I interrupted mm -hmm. you. No. It's always too much. It is too much. But if you're being ugly, are you being too much or you are... You, being ugly, then, you're outside the norms of prescribed behavior. Yes. Getting cute or getting fresh is you may still be doing the norms of behavior, but you've turned up the volume too much. Yes, turned up the volume too much, whereas being ugly is outside. Outside of that altogether. Mm hmm Sorry, I realize now I'm just quizzing you on phrases, <laughs> but then it also occurs to me that I do think it might be particularly... Southern, I don't feel like I've heard it elsewhere where people say, she thinks she's cute. Oh. Hmm. But I, I, I have no research to back this up. I think, no, I think that that would be, again, because cute is used, um, is not regionally specific. But one of the things that I have found that, that I think as you're demonstrating is so often these words are so slippery and so easily related and up until now when people have talked about people have certainly talked about say flannery o'connor's characters in terms of being ugly but they'll use the word ugly interchangeably with grotesque with plain and to me i think it's really important to sort these terms out because for example plainness does make an acceptable wife plainness is not confrontational which is what you want in a traditional heteronormative relationship. Um, Melanie in Gone with the Wind has a plain heart-shaped face, which I think describes the ideal traditional Southern woman, and that she's plain but heart-faced, um, so romantic um, but not threatening in the way that Scarlett O'Hara's clash of aristocratic French features and Irish features in her face um, is what made her is what made her not beautiful, according to their narrator. So Mitchell doesn't say Scarlet's ugly. Now, Scarlet can be ugly. Yes. For sure. Yes. And when she's being ugly, her description, when she's being ugly, such as saying she'll dance while she's a widow or um, stealing somebody's bow, 
It's her father's Irish features that are emphasized in her description. You get the greenness of her eyes and the uh, darkness of her lashes and her dark hair. Hmm. In fact, her lashes are described as bristly at one point, which I think is odd and not attractive. Yeah. It's so interesting to me because I think that popularly now, and other people have talked about this, we imagine that Scarlett O'Hara is the most beautiful Southern woman who's ever lived. She's Vivian Lee. And if, yeah. Who's British. Yes. And if you go back to the novel, she is not the most beautiful woman from the South who's ever lived. But it's interesting that Gone with the Wind, so much your attractiveness is so based on your behavior. Um, And in fact, another part of Gone with the Wind is Belle Watling, the prostitute, that again in the movie, that actress is so bright and so striking that we all think of her. But in the novel, we don't actually ever get a whole description of her. We get the flashes of her dyed hair, we get the flashes of her lipstick, but we never actually see all of her in the way that we do in the movie. And the pieces that we do see are are, un- are described unattractively. I see. Now, what is the difference there between the ugly and the grotesque? These are different terms. Sure, sure. And to me, the grotesque is certainly in the it's something that's monstrous it's something that explodes things so it's something like monstrous whereas the thing that's interesting to me about ugliness is that it's every day again when we see something that violates our expectations um we stare because we're trying to understand we're we stare because something violates our expectations and we try to make up a story that explains why a person is missing an arm for example if you see a fat person on the beach, it doesn't really require a story. You don't think, oh, I don't know, maybe they broke their leg and couldn't <laughs> exercise, and then they did this, and right. then they stopped walking to work. I mean, maybe you think, did her mother not teach her that or something, or does she not read fashion magazines, or is she doing this as a political statement, or, I mean, maybe you... Yeah, no one really thinks that no. hard about it. No, not in the way that, say, certainly not in the way that, say, you know, I've gone around, I've, I've had to wear a patch on an eye, on my eye for, um, at times, and people will really stare at that, which is really fascinating to see adults. Do you feel that, that, that the patch falls into the grotesque? People want to know the story. Right, they really, really do. Why are you wearing a patch? Yes. She's a pirate. Yes. <laughs> well, they do. They wonder, is she being, making a fashion statement? Is there an, well, because they can't see, and they wonder if there's an eye under there or not. And if there's not, then that's troubling. You had mentioned the OED and kind of the etymology of the phrase being ugly and the idea of ugliness. What is the historical, can you quickly gloss for our listeners, what's the sort of historical genealogy of being ugly? Right, so ugliness originally meant wicked. It meant evil. It meant literally that which we don't want to look at. But again, it still has this connotation of a fascination or captivation, but it's what we don't want to look at. And so from the very beginning, you get it connected to women like witches. 
So again, it's this power that we don't want to look at. Um, and then over the course of history, um, it's been, you know, then applied more directly to aesthetics or to, um, to things that are evil, but it's very, you know, roots are in the idea of, of evil and that which should not be looked at. Um, and it's really the past, I would say, oh, 400 years or so that it's been applied more and more aesthetically. Um, and then again, in terms of female beauty. Does the hyper, perhaps hyper awareness of Southern women, whatever that means, being especially pretty or glamorous or put together, does that, that then also enhances the appearance of ugliness? Do these two things go together? I think so. And I think because even, even now, say in uh, Southern culture, um, outlets such as Garden and Gun, every other issue seems to have something about being a Southern woman means putting an effort towards your appearance. Um, Reese Witherspoon had an interview a couple of months ago in which she said, you'll never see a Southern woman in public in sweatpants, that Southern women take care of things, including themselves. And so it's, there continues to be this judgmentalness that if you don't meet the, the expectations of physical beauty, then it's a moral failing on your part. You're not doing your job that's expected of Southern women, which is to be beautiful and an inspiration to others. A phrase that um, I've written about that I love is let herself go, right? She let herself go which is such a moral judgment, which means, oh, you're not keeping up your roots and you're not wearing makeup and you're not exercising enough. It's this very failing, moral failing on your part. But at the same time, let herself go is such a wonderful phrase, right? Because it, it also can mean she's allowing herself to be happy or live or something. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like you have been in prison and you let yourself go. <laughs> right, right. I want to let myself go. Yes. But again, like Lee Smith's characters are often like, oh, she let herself go. I mean, that, yeah, that's, yeah, go where? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, where are you going? I want to come. But the same way that being, don't be ugly has always been, I just assume it's a, oh, I don't want to be ugly. I've also thought, oh, I don't want to let myself go. And then when I made that kind of consciousness raising moment of, oh, huh, maybe I do. Yeah. Letting myself go might be actually quite delightful. not that other parts of the country and other parts of the world aren't judgmental and don't have beauty standards, but there seems to be something about a particular stratum of the South that defi that is very self-conscious about its Southerness. Again, it's this very, what I identify right now as the garden and gun Southern living understanding of the South, of this kind of essentialized Southness that has this very specific understanding of femininity and womanhood and capital S, capital W, Southern woman has these very strict standards of physical expectations. And because at the same time we have this regional 
usage of ugliness that has to do with behavior, to me, the link between behavior and appearance is just fascinating. It is fascinating because it, it begs it a question of questions of performance, questions that we've been talking about on this show for several weeks now of reality. Mm-hmm. Is being pretty and being ugly, neither of those things are real. Right. They change. They do. They're always changing. Right. And they're also completely affective in that like being ugly or being pretty is largely a reception-based phenomenon. Yes. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Exactly. Ugliness is in the eye of the beholder. Right. And to me, the relation it is that <clears throat> relational that re- relational aspect of it to me that's so fascinating because right ugliness is fa- fascinating and it has an effect on the viewer. And when women use that consciously, to me, it's just fascinating. Again, to me, it has connections to say punk culture and and taking on again another kind of performative repulsive identity. It strikes me that all of these concepts of ugly and prettiness and aesthetics, we should perhaps spend a moment talking about how deeply racially and ethnically inflected all of these cons. Anytime you invoke a concept of beauty, right, it is entirely tied up in this country and maybe in other places in the world with ideas of ethnicity and race. Right. And on the one, on the one hand, when we talk about standards of beauty, they're almost always white, upper middle class, heteronormative standards of beauty. But again, it's important to note that's where the historical and regional and ethnic and racial specificity comes into play. Because, for example, like Blaine Roberts' book about... Um, uh, African-American beauty practices in the South in the 20th century talks about, again, how those, depending upon the political moment, could be aiming towards white standards or could be claiming standards that were not white, very consciously claiming non-white standards of beauty. And I think it's interesting, Have this is, this is kind of a tan- tangent, but have you seen the drag designing women that they do in Atlanta every year? No. So 10 years now, there's um, uh, a theater troupe that does as a fundraiser um, episodes of designing women in mm-hmm. drag. Okay, yes, I'm there. <laughs> I'm with you. I, I, I wrote a paper on this for a conference a couple of years ago. Topher Payne and Johnny Drago are two of the people who do it, if you know them. And unlike other drag shows around the country, like Drag Golden Girls that has been done many places, that the people in charge of Golden Girls hate that and they'll get a cease and desist any time that they uh, find out about it. Linda Bloodworth Thomason found out about Designing Women, sent somebody down here to, to see it, and so approved it, approved of it, that first of all, she sent Topher Julia's glasses after the actress died. So now when he plays Julia, she's actually wearing her glasses. Um, and recently, several months ago, she got so fed up with um, the political campaign that she wrote a new Julia Sugarbaker speech in response to Donald Trump and sent it to Topher, and he performed a new Julia Sugarbaker speech as in reaction to Donald Trump. And so seeing, it's made me think more about seeing cross-dressed people playing the designing women, of going, this is... What are, what are the hallmarks of Southern femininity? It's still, we still read them as 
it works with drag because we see it, it's already so performative, right? They don't actually need to, um, when I've talked to one of the actors about how they, how he plays Mary Jo, he said, I just play her exactly how she played it on TV. That part of what we're going for is just verisimilitude to the TV show, which seen in drag points out how completely performative that TV show is. And I think still Southern femininity and Southern masculinity certainly too are so completely performative and put on like makeup. Hello, I'm Julia Sugarbaker and I have a personal message for presidential candidate Donald Trump. Donald, I saw you a few nights ago on television and you were once again using a derogatory word to describe women. In the past you've referred to us as fat pigs, dogs, slobs, and disgusting animals. You have routinely ridiculed our sex, from calling a woman who wanted to breastfeed her baby at work disgusting, to making fun of Carly Fiorina's face, to suggesting that Megan Kelly might be having her period because she asked if you are a misogynist. And for the record, that was a rhetorical question. But if you look at, say, contemporary Atlanta, um, I think that there are, I would argue that there are multiple standards of beauty happening that are, on the one hand are sort of racially inflected, but then are other, because we have such a culturally diverse city, at least the parts of the city that I'm often in, you see different standards happening. You do. And yet I wonder if the idea pervades of being very put together. Mm. So. I don't know if you are familiar with The Real Housewives of Atlanta Mm -mm. as a show. No. I know it exists. Individually. This last season, Kim Fields from Facts of Life. from Facts of Life. Yes. um, She is, I say character, but I guess... Reality shows, they count as characters. Yeah, they are characters. But I always always do pause on that to be aware, so other people are aware that I don't think they're literally characters. But she attempted to hold... A beatless brunch. So you would come without beatless without makeup. Wow. And she wanted all of the women to come because it was an interesting... Her this season was sort of an interesting kind of moralizing straight man on the show that Hmm. she... And also a little morally judgy, I think I would say. Sure. Kind of criticizing how many boobies were out at an event, mm-hmm. for example. Like, wow, everyone has their boobies out. Is this what people do? And she's a very devoted-to-God family, her husband. So, again, she's trying to curb excess. Right. But then she wanted all of these women who appear on this TV show on Bravo where the, gener- the generic expectation there is that we are seeing women who are made up, mm-hmm. put together. Even if they're going to yoga, those women come out of the gym looking like I've never looked before in my life. (laughs) So there was like a real housewives mutiny that she expected people to come and be on TV without their makeup in her house. Mm -hmm. And a lot of women wouldn't do it. So they maybe came and they had on natural looking makeup. Sure. Which that's such a funny, I mean... It's a funny genre in and of itself. Does this cause a meltdown 
Why did this cause a meltdown? Having not seen the show, I like. Sure. I realize the theme of this show now is I ask people, including myself, about things they don't know anything. Sure. It's like, wait, wait, don't tell me, but different. <laughs> Why does that cause a meltdown? That these women are just the idea that they would show up and be on television without makeup was horrifying. Well, I think it's horrifying because, and I mean, look at the words that you're using, right? Put together, made up. These are all about construction. And when you tell women don't wear makeup, first of all, that's that's false, right? Because you could not wear makeup and you'd still do your hair and you could still choose your clothes and you would there's still all of these other choices and constructions that are going on besides just what you put on your face. <clears throat> and even if you aren't wearing right, like I'm wearing tinted sunblock right now. I'm not wearing official foundation on my face, but I'm wearing tinted sunblock. So does that count as makeup? Yes. Exactly. Whereas I'm like, I'm never gonna leave the house without it because it's sunblock. Yeah. I So also, again there are all of these different they're telling somebody don't wear makeup first of all, kind of throws this monkey wrench into, so what point of the construction process are you expecting me to stop, right? And am I, am I not wearing deodorant? Am I not wearing perfume? Are we just interested in the visual? Am I wearing... If I wear a wig, am I going to wear a wig? Right, right. Am I going to wear extensions? Right. Am I going to wear my contacts or am I going to wear my glasses? Right. So there are all of these. So just saying no makeup to me kind of is almost like a red herring to kind of throw people into a tizzy because there's so many other aspects of our of our appearance that are constructed. It's all constructed. I love just now it occurred to me when you said I is that foundation? The fact that we call the first right. layer of makeup foundation yes. as if this and is primer. The thing. Primer. I am primed and foundated <laughs> and now I will emerge as a whole woman. Right. Right. And so but I think that I don't know, part of me wants to, to argue that because we're so much more, because the culture is so much more performative about these roles in the South, maybe we're more okay with admitting, I'm not leaving the house without my makeup on. I'm a Southern woman. I don't leave the house without my makeup on. Um, the same way that say, you know, Kelly and I just saw Dolly Parton and Dolly Parton is like, of course none of this is real. What's wrong with that? Right. Um, she, yeah, she's always, very highly claimed her performative woman nature long before it was popular to do so. Right. Tumble out of bed and I stumble to the kitchen Pour myself a cup of ambition And yawn and stretch and try to come to life in the shower and the blood starts pumping Out on the streets the traffic starts jumping With folks like me on the job from nine to five Who is the Southern ugly icon? Southern ugly icon? I think it depends on who you ask. For me, it's always going to be Joy Holga because I love her so much and I identify with her so much. And I think that maybe that's part of my interest in this is identifying with the ugly girl and going, on the one hand, I'm never going to be whatever, whoever the Southern beauty. I'm never going to be Miss America. I'm not really interested in that lifestyle. So I would like to cling to Joy Holga. The other one though, that I've just started thinking about recently and want to actually like read her biography is Minnie Pearl. Oh yeah, Minnie Pearl. Did she ever, 
I don't know. I mean, I think I've I've thought about Minnie Pearl a lot in my life. Um, my grandmother was a big fan mm-hmm. of Minnie Pearl. My grandmother was also really invested. This is my mom's mom, to be clear, mm-hmm. Fannie Mae. She was really invested in talking about other people's appearances. Mm-hmm. I mean, sure, she's fat. She's getting fat. This person's fat. She's she let ugly. herself go. She's let herself go. Put your hair up. Put your hair down. Right. Don't. Do you like your hair on your neck like that? Your face looks weird when your hair's up. Get your hair out of your face. Yeah, there was a lot of constant. The, oh, never mind. First of all, Minnie Pearl, you know when you go to the Opry now, there is still a person who does Minnie Pearl. Oh. Yeah, it's really nice. And she does a wonderful tribute. Um, but Minnie Pearl, so she adopted this... What what makes her so... This is this is another flavor of ugliness that, again, is, is different, is the tacky, right? And in the South, we are all about the tacky. And the tacky is similar right it's that kind of letting yourself go and it's letting to me the tacky is um admitting your aspirations so tacky also which is really fun also has a southern etymology in it it started with tack horses and tacky horses and then became associated with the people who tended the horses so it's this very class inflected term in its history and so the tacky like minnie pearl has her price tag hanging off of her hat, which shows, oh, look, I just bought this hat. Um, That again shows, it shows that you're trying, right? Whereas beauty is not supposed to show that you're trying. Because pretty is as pretty does. Pretty is as pretty does, right? If you have inner virtue, it should just shine naturally through to your outward um, appearance. But again, we have so much in the South that's tacky that we really enjoy that... Uh, I think that that's related to your question of why did your grandmother like Minnie Pearl? Because we go, oh, I kind of wish I could do that. And I can't do it myself, but I can really enjoy watching somebody else do it. Because Dolly Parton is, one, beautiful, but she carries it to the extreme of the tacky. Right. Where it almost flips over on itself. Right, right. It really, really does. And she taught me, and there was a new interview with her this week talking about how many drag queens do Dolly Parton and she's like some of them do Dolly Parton way better than I do um so again itself we 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 realize that this is all constructed but we're still like really invested in the construction of beauty and that's that is beyond just the region I mean sure. people in sure. LA are really invested in sure. Kim Kardashian is incredibly invested in the entire clan in the construction of beauty. Yes, very much so. As a performative exercise. Right. But I bet that there are people in, right, the stereotype of, say, Portland would be, no, no, this is not constructed at all, though it's completely constructed. Howdy! Howdy! I'm just so proud to be here. Well, sir, I'm just as proud and happy to be down here with all you fine folks and handsome fellers, too. Now, they are. Sure enough, I've been looking at them. I just look. It don't do no good, but I still look. It's kind of like going down to the depot and watching the trains go by. You love to hear the whistle even if you ain't going nowhere. But I did have two nice-looking fellers kind of look at me tonight as I was walking in out there. There was two of the handsomest fellers standing there, and I looked over at them and smiled, and they looked over at me and laughed out loud. (laughs) One of them said to the other, and he said, I believe that's the ugliest woman I've ever seen in my life. 
other and said, yes, she's awful ugly, but she might be a pretty good old girl. You know, beauty's only skin deep. And the other and said, well, let's skin her. See, I can't help the way I look When they passed around looks I thought they said books And I said, give me a funny one (laughs) (laughs) That's our show this week Thanks for listening about South is brought to you each week from the historic West End of Atlanta, Georgia. Kelly Vines is co-producer. Music is by Brian Horton. You can buy his music at brianhorton.com. Please subscribe to About South on your preferred podcast platform. You can visit us and contact us at aboutsouthpodcast.com. And we're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Please follow, like, heart, etc., any of our posts. And be sure to let us know what you think about being ugly. We'd also like to send a special message to Reese Witherspoon this week. Hashtag Southern Women Wear Sweatpants. In fact, I'm actually wearing sweatpants right now. And I do wear sweatpants in public. And that probably goes to the point. Hashtag Let Myself Go. So this week, be sure to take a picture of you, shamelessly, Southern woman, wearing sweatpants in public, and hashtag About South, and hashtag Southern Women Wear Sweatpants. Next week, we're talking to Leanne Howe and Kirsten Squint about the Native South. It's going to be a fantastic conversation, and we can't wait to bring you that episode. Until then, take care of yourself, and hashtag Let Yourself Go. Yes. I'm very excited about designing women in drag. Oh, I'll tell you the next time it's here. Yes. I had to raid on someone the other day. Oh. <laughs> it, I felt bad after I did it. Well. But it was necessary.